Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest is musician, author, and pancreatic cancer survivor, Ken Parmy. As Ken states, I think there's sadness in there. I think there's anger in there. Maybe this is my body's digesting what's happened to me through my life. So the question always comes back, what do you do about it? I've never been one to sit around and say, oh, why did this happen? This is where we are. What do we do? Because we can't change what was. Ken, it's good to see you. Hi, Savio. Good to see you also. Great. You're so what would you good. like? Thank you. So what would you like coaching on? Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of different aspects to coaching. And I was thinking, for me, what has always been most important is like, I guess you would call it more of a spiritual side of learning how to actually rest in your spirit uh, in, in the face of these kind of adversities. You know what I mean? Uh, th- there's a lot that you can deal with. There's diet, there's exercise, but a lot of times you don't hear people talk about rest. And and I don't mean the kind of rest where you just hang out and do nothing, you know what I mean? But I'm talking about a, a, a actual rest in your spirit that you work towards, you know? And I think you work towards it through mainly meditation, through prayer, uh, through centering yourself, you know, people have lots of different words for it. People use lots of different terminologies, but most people are searching for the same thing, you know. And when you're faced with these terminal diseases, you know yourself, it's overwhelming at first, especially. I know when I was first diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, I didn't know anything about it at all. You know, I, in fact, I was just... Um, only knew a couple people in my whole life that had had it, you know. And when you first get diagnosed, it was the last thing I expected to hear anyway, because what happens is that you go to their PCP and and they ran all kind of tests. And uh, it turned out they said, well, you're a diabetic, you know. And I said, well, I, I've never been a diabetic before. I don't know what to do about that. So 
they put me on insulin and sent me home and I started taking the insulin, but I progressively kept losing weight and getting sicker and more sick. And so my wife got me a, a, uh, a call in with an endocrinologist and I was able to get in to see and when I explained to her what I was going through, she said, well, diabetes really doesn't have any pain involved with it. And you're telling me you got this bad pain. So she sent me right away to get an x-ray. And so I went and got the CT scan. And in fact, on our way home, uh, the doctor called and said, can you come to the office? And we knew, you know, right then and there, uh, it was, wasn't going to be good news, you know. So I ended up finding out through that doctor, God bless her, that, that I had uh, pancreatic cancer. And I had never heard of it before. So I'm overwhelmed with all this new information. Not only did I have this cancer, but I find out that it's like the most fatal cancer that there is. And if you live more than two years, you're pretty lucky, you know. So it's a lot to take in at first. You know, now I was, I'm real fortunate and then I have such a good support system. You know, my wife, my children, they've all been like so helpful through this whole situation. You know, they've always been there. And, and that's an important thing, you know, because like I say, you're getting bombarded with so many things. And, and you know yourself, when, when you go to the doctors, it's hard to remember everything that they say. So, so my wife would come with me to every, every appointment and she'd keep a little notebook, you know, and then we would talk about it on the way home and come up with questions, you know, for the next time. It's just such a help to have someone else there to bounce things off of, you know. It makes it not quite so scary, you know, to have someone there with you. Yeah, so what I'm hearing from you is how do you rest within your spirit after being given this kind of devastating news? Yeah, and that's a good question. Now. Even before I received this news, I was into like meditations and prayers and things like that. So, so I kind of had a basic idea of centering, you know, and that's what it came down to for me was to being able to put myself, I call it in God's arms. You know, a lot of people call it lots of different things. For me, that brings a comforting view you know what I mean? Uh, like you're in a loving father's arms, you know, but someone else might think something different, you know, and whatever. But you have to find that place of rest where you can actually make peace with this. Because even if you get better, I always have to laugh because uh, one of the ladies at church, God bless her, she was a, a sweet old soul. She just passed away from COVID, but when I was first diagnosed with this and I was in chemo, one day she came up to me and she patted me right on the head. She said, honey, I believe you're going to beat this, but you know what? Something's going to get you. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> I thought, you know, you're really right, Rose. Yeah, and, and that's, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, if this isn't going to get me, something else is going to get me. So I want to know that I can go in a restful spirit, not in a panicked spirit, not in a fearful spirit, but in a spirit of 
easy transition. You know, I, I can remember reading about when St. Francis was dying, some of the monks were worried because he was getting real irritable. <laughs> and, and it was up to the monks. They liked to show the people died a good death, you know, and they were getting a little nervous that he was getting so cranky. But <laughs> he was taking all these weird medications and things. So, I mean, it's no wonder he was cranky. They were poking hot irons in his eyes and stuff, you know, weird old medieval cures. But he came out of it. You know, and he found that he found that place of rest. You know, he found that rest in his spirit that he was able to commend himself over. You know, and I think that's for me. That's always been the biggest thing. Because uh, you know what's funny? I always took good care of myself, Savvy. I, when I was exercising, there was ten years that I had only missed three days of power walking in a full 10 years. I mean, I, t I took really good care of myself. I ate right, I worked out, I exercised. You know what I mean? I had that kind of uh, attitude together, you know? But you know what happens, like what John Lennon say, you know, when life happens when you're making plans, you know? <laughs> yeah. So what would be a really awesome outcome for today? Well, for today, I would like people to just be aware that not only do we need to find that place of rest, but there's lots of support systems if you don't have a support system that can help you with this. Uh, I work with a lot of times with the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, PANCANT. They do a really wonderful work, and they're working through things like patient services, and, and in fact, they have a walk coming up on April 30th. They will have their awareness walk, and it goes to raise money. So if anybody wanted to get involved, you go on the PanCan page, and they will direct you to the Pittsburgh Purple Stride Walk. So we work with them, and also with uh, Cancer Bridges is a great support place. Now they have support groups for people that have all sorts of different types of cancer. Uh, if you call Cancer Bridges or go on their line, on their page, uh, they could tell you they have lots of different support groups. And right now everything is pretty much virtual, you know, because that's where we are right now, you know. But they are still good forms of support. So what I would hope for today is that people would understand that we need support, uh, not just physically, but spiritually, too. You so, know. so, Ken, how have you cultivated spiritual calmness in your life? Well, for me, it's mainly trying to be aware and trying to be present you know, and, and sometimes that involves meditation, sometimes it involves music, sometimes it involves drawing, uh, sometimes it involves just sitting. You know, there's many things that you can do that can help put you in touch with more of your inner self, you know. And I think when we pray, it's certainly not so much for God as it is for us, 
you know, so that we could be centered in that right spirit, in that right frame of uh, where I, I think it was John wrote in the epistle, in love there is no fear, perfect love casts out all fear. So I find that place, that place of rest, and I set myself in there. You know, uh, of course, I say that metaphorically, but maybe not so much either, because that's actually what I do. <laughs> so when you first got the news from the doctor, how did you react? Well, I was in shock, I think, at first. You know, when you're first told that kind of a thing, you know, it's just it's overwhelming, especially when it's the last thing that you actually expect to hear. You know, I thought I was just going to hear that I had some kind of digestion problems or something like that, you know, but it turned out to be cancer. So I was initially in shock. And then and then I got into a uh, it's like a deep sadness uh, that I, I think I have to this day. It's hard to shake. You know what I mean? And that's why for me, centering is so important. You know, I, I like all humans, I think we have tendencies to go to the dark side in a quick matter of time, you know? So I like to try and refocus that and center myself back into those loving spirit. You know what I mean? that I can place myself in. So that's something that you just, it's a practice like anything else. You know, it's like gardening, you know. I can let my garden go and stuff will come up, but it'll be a mess too. You know, I have to cultivate. And our spiritual walk is the same way. You know, it's something that we need to cultivate. You know, this deep sadness, does it reside anywhere in your body? <sighs> It's hard to say. I feel it all over, you know. I, I can literally feel it all over. And, and uh, I'm much more emotional than I used to be, I, I feel. And uh, it's just a, it's a sadness of, I don't want to say strictly mortality, but a sadness that we're all here and in the end, Everybody we love is not going to be there, you know, yeah. and, and that's a sad thought to me, you know. So that's why I go into that phase of like what Tillich says is the ground of all being, you know, and that's what I talk about centering yourself into, you know, that in that center of being, we have to learn to put ourselves there. We're there. Yeah. We just need to make ourselves aware, you know. You mentioned, you know, collaborating and working with other individuals and organizations with cancer. Have they expressed this sadness to you as well? People do. Yeah, people do. I go to a cancer support group, uh, West Sample, a fellow that had uh, pancreatic cancer like 15 years ago. Wow. And he's been a survivor that long now. But all those years, he said he felt sad there was never a support group, so he went ahead and started one. So probably it's been around for like six or seven years, and it's a pancreatic cancer support group. But like I say, Cancer Bridges is who we meet through, and they have support groups for breast cancer and all sorts of different things. So if you're interested in something like that, Cancer Bridges is a great place for that. Uh, so that kind of a thing to me that outreach people open up more 
and they'll admit to that sadness when you get into those settings, you know. But I think it's almost universal with cancer patients, it sure seems to me. Did you feel sad? Did yeah, I felt shame. I felt sadness. Um, I felt embarrassment. Um, I know there's, it doesn't make any sense, but those are the feelings that I felt in the moment. Um, no, when, when I, when you think about or feel into this sadness, is there anything that it is trying to get your attention to? I think so. I, I, I do believe so. Sadness points us in a direction, and it's the direction evidently that you need at that time, you know, where it points you to, you know. And you can let it point you into like a real depression if you let it you know and that's a tough thing for people man that's a very tough thing that's why these support groups i think are important too is because they have people that are trained professionals that can help walk you through things like this you know and where support groups are good and we get to share and, and and a lot of times it's got there's times we meet we don't even talk about cancer but then there's other times that's all we talk about just depends on what's going on you know but you're there for each other and and you learn that most people like i was telling you in that interview we're we're not brave warriors you know we're we're just scared people that have been afflicted by life and are trying to take one step at a time you know, because what else, what else can you do? There, there's nothing else you can do. You got to go forward, you know. So I think support groups are good for things like that. And I never felt I really even needed one. I was well out of treatment before I actually even started going to that. Yeah. But it's been a blessing. It's been a definite help. Do you think cancer had afforded you anything positive? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to think that whatever came my way, I would try to make something positive out of it. You know, cancer itself to me is just another page in this life, in, in this book of life, you know, and, and it affects me. I mean, I had to retire because of it eventually, you know what I mean? And I can't do the things I used to do. I have a lot of digestive issues, you know. I'm so different than the way that I used to be physically. But there's still like that young kid in me saying, no, <laughs> I don't want to go that route. You know what I mean? So so you, you have to do things to stay out of that kind of, not let that sadness drag you down. Like I say, I don't know if it ever actually leaves, but you don't want to let it drag you down to where you're not functioning. You know, that's a bad place to be. And that's why support is important. And there's no shame in that, man. There's nothing to be embarrassed about, you know. You're dealing with life and death situations here, you know. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying when you get told that stuff. Like for me, it was mainly, like I say, just knowing I've never seen my wife and my kids. At the time, I only had three grandkids. And now, come May, God willing, here I'll have six. 
wow. <laughs> on a way. So I got to see, hopefully, here three three more grandkids, you know, and they bring nothing but joy. So life is that package. That's the way it comes, you know. Our job is to just deal the hand, play the hand we're dealt, you know. So what does that young Ken want still? Uh, wants to be able to show love more fluidly, not be as guarded. I think that's what young Ken would want. <laughs> and so how, how do you think young Ken can make that happen with the Ken that exists now? Well, it's ongoing. It's, it's the same for everybody, man. We're all on that road, you know? And I think the sooner people realize that the road home is actually our home, that they'll never know rest. You know, there's an old Indian proverb that said, the world is a nice place to build a bridge on, but I wouldn't want to stay here. <laughs> and I always thought that was a good, uh, a good Indian parable, you know. <laughs> is there anyone in your life that you admire who exhibits less of a gardenist nature? That's tough, man, because I think everybody's guarded to a degree, you know? Uh, you know, I mean, I've been married 44 years now, and, and I am still uh, careful, you know what I mean? And you would think after being with the one person for all those years, you know, but love is another thing that you cultivate that grows, and it's a, a relationship that just continues on, you know. So that's what me and my wife talk about this. It's too bad that you didn't know what you know now when you were younger. <laughs> and you do hear people say that, but you, and when you're in your mid-60s and stuff, you start realizing, yeah, that's really true. <laughs> It is. So, so what are more things that you would like to accomplish? Well, I've been real into this drawing lately. And so what I'm trying to do is have six completed books of sketches so that I could leave one to each grandkid, you know, so that each, each grandkid has something tangibly they can remember me by. Because, you know, it's something I look back on. One thing I'm really sorry about was that I never spent enough time with my elders. You know, because when you're a teenager and you're busy, you have your own life going on. Uh, Pap was okay, but Jiminy Crickets, you know, he's an old man, you know. And, and I wish now there was, I, I wish I'd have spent more time listening to them tell their stories, you know. And them, my grandkids probably think I talk too much because I'm always trying to tell them stories. And, and it's for that reason, you know. I, I, when I die, I want them to know that they, hey, I, I kind of knew that guy, you know. Now, my grandpokes, I mean, I loved them, but did I really know them? You know, and I wished, I have a million questions now, you know. What would you like your grandchildren to know about you? that my goal in life was noble <laughs> that the goal was to actually love people from my heart 
you know. And I've tried to pass that on to our kids. We've tried to pass that on, and I see them trying to pass that on to their kids too, you know. My wife and I both grew up in households that were very stressful. You know, when we got married, one of our key plans was to have a house that was like stress-free, that people could just relax. And, and that's the way we always tried to make it, you know. And I'm sure there must have been times where we didn't, but it sure seemed like we did okay like that, you know. We tried to keep it stress-free from that sort of thing, because that's, that's bad for kids, too. It's so nerve-wracking, you know. So I would want my grandkids to carry on in that same vein. Because when it comes down to it, most of us, we're not going to be able to influence a million people or, you know, we're not going to influence 500 people. But we can influence the people around us, you know, and be there for the people that love us. And that's fine, you know. I don't think the creator of all things cares so much that we're out there trying to help a million people, you know, when we've got two right here. <laughs> so how yeah, did, you do what how, you can. How did your wife react to your, your diagnosis? She was surprised because she was the one that always got the bad health reports, you know what I mean? Like high cholesterol and all that sort of thing. And uh, so she was real surprised because I, I take good care of myself. That's what was freaking her out was when I started taking the insulin to be a diet for being a diabetic, I just kept getting more sick and, and it really worried her that I was losing more weight, you know? So it was because of her, yeah, you know, guys, we're pretty stupid. Doctor says something, we're like, okay, whatever. My wife wasn't letting that go. You know, she said, no, you you need to go to a specialist. This, this, there's something wrong here. You know, and so it worked out like that. You know, but that's because my wife was persistent for that. You know, excuse me, I'm just a, a dumb guy. I would have just been like, okay, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> So how, how how do you suppose you can have like one action step towards more of that calm spirit that you mentioned in the beginning? Like, is there anything in your life that you feel that you can bring into to facilitate more of a calm spirit? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Uh, and, and that's that constant awareness of centering yourself in what is now in the absolute presence of what's now because you know tomorrow it's way off <laughs> yesterday's gone you can't do nothing about yesterday but you can be present in the in the in the right now to me that's that's the true essence of god i always say god is the is it just is this is you know in that presence and be aware you know and center yourself in that presence. So how do you combat like obstacles during the centering process? Well, different people do different things. I usually accept them and just let them kind of roll away. You know what I mean? And eventually they just kind of roll away, you know? 
And, and this is another thing I think people think too, that you always have to be in some kind of weird state of being or something, you know? And I don't know if there is any real, really such state, but I know there is a state where you are present right now for who you are with, you know? And, and even if you're with yourself, be present in that moment. And I think the more that we learn to do that, then the more centered, and then that has a natural calming effect. It's just like a chain reaction. When you're in sort of the state of presence, how do you allow yourself to dive deep into it versus worrying about extraneous things in your life? Gratefulness. For me, it's all about gratefulness. Yeah, I'm grateful for oatmeal. <laughs> I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for that presence that I don't understand or can explain, you know? And I know when I dive deep into that gratefulness, uh, it's like water that washes you, you know? And I guess it's because it just erases the like the negativity because life's filled with all kind of negativity. And I'm not saying you should deny it. You know, you have to admit that it's there. But we don't have to dwell there, you know. I love the story that was one time told by a Watchman Nee, he was an old preacher back in the 40s and 50s, and he was preaching some sermon on grace, and one of the people got real aggravated in the, in the crowd, and they said, yeah, but, but what if somebody turns his back on the light? And Watchman Nee, they said, thought for a minute, and he said, well, then the light shines on his back, you know? <laughs> So it's all and out where we want to turn, you know what I mean? The light's going to shine no matter what. You can either turn towards it or you can walk away from it. It's, that's up to each individual. So Ken, we talked a lot about in the beginning this idea of you know, becoming more restful with your spirit and we talked a whole bunch about how you sort of dealt with your diagnosis and then your family support how does this conversation, how does it land for you right now? What's happening? Well, right now I'm kind of in a health limbo, I guess you would call it. My cancer's stable, but it's left me with a lot of side effects that are really affecting my quality of life, you know? So the docs are working on it. It's mainly digestive issues, you know? And so they're, they're increasing some medication and changing others, that type of situation, you know. And hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be able to, to uh, get this dealt with, you know. But what, what was your original question? Yeah, how does this all land? <gasps> no, how does this all land for you? You know, you mentioned, you know, that you feel sadness. Um, oh, all yeah, over. yeah. And, and, and that's, a, that's something that does not seem to leave me. You know what I mean? It, it seems to be like an undercurrent. And, and I always noticed myself maybe to be a little bit on the dark side before that, prog before that diagnosis. But uh, it's way more so now. You know, now I don't know if that's an individual thing, but I know a lot of people that feel the same thing. And I remember listening to Alex Trebek when he was saying how surprised he was in chemo that how he would have these jags where he would just go and cry for a while 
you know and and that seems to be what happens now is that something is that something that's biological that the cancer is causing or is that something psychological just by us realizing our own mortality and that we're going to lose the people that we love uh, you know how does all of this play in to your life you know and that's why for me I don't know if you'll ever have any answers. I'm not looking for answers, you know. I'm looking for that experience of grace, that experience of centering and peace, you know. To me, that's what life's about because in the end, that's what death's about, you know. And that's something we're all gonna face. So I think when you get cancer, I think you become more aware of that. You thought you knew before, but when they tell you you're probably not going to live, it, it comes with a whole different light. You know, you mentioned as well about having digestive issues and then about your sadness all over. Is sadness in your, in your digestive area? Definitely, man. Definitely. Yeah. I think there's sadness in there I think there's anger in there I think there's a lot in there you know and maybe this is my body digestion is my body digesting what's happened to me through my life you know <laughs> and and I, I believe in things like that I do you know so the question always comes back to, okay, well, what do you do about it? You know, to me, it was, I've never been one to sit around and say, oh, why did this happen? You know, I, it's like, okay, what do we do? This is where we are. What do we do? Because we can't change what was. So where are we now? And, and, and to me, that's the only real relevant question. You know, I think the Buddhists are right when they say it's an inappropriate question. Why me? It's just not appropriate. So, if sadness resides there in your stomach, what is it pointing you towards, you think? I hope it's pointing me towards ultimate truth. Uh, but I'm not saying like some kind of grand world truth. I'm talking about truth of myself, you know. How can I really know myself, you know? How do you know yourself better? How do you come to love yourself? That seems to be the hardest thing for most people, it seems to me, is loving themselves and forgiving themselves and being confident that if there is some kind of outer force, that it's loving too, you know. Because people say, well, we don't see evidence of that. And, and I get that. I, I do, you know. But whether you have cancer or not, even as a human being, you need to find that place of rest in your spirit, you know. That goes, you know, because we're all terminal in the end. Like that lady told me, something's going to get me. So if you could say something to your digestive stomach area your sadness all over what would that be what does Ken want to say man don't be so sad 
don't be so sad because I have so much to be happy about. And and this is this is why I wonder if this isn't just an effect of the cancer because is, is it a biological thing also? Uh, because that sadness, who, who could not be sad when they were told, you know, you're going to die or your friend's going to die? Yeah, how, how could you not be sad over something like that? So I think that's kind of an expected emotion, but at the same time, emotions are very transitory. And what can make me very sad one day could be gone and I could be ecstatically happy the next day. You know, and the sadness I'm talking about here isn't that type of a superficial sadness. I'm talking about a sadness that cut deep into a person's soul and said, look, man, this, this is, we're messed up. Everybody's messed up. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of sickness. There's a lot of pain. And it's okay to be sad about that. But we have to press on, man. You know, we got to recenter and we got to press on. And I think what that does is that builds empathy to people. You know, I know it, it, it's built empathy for me uh, in really uh, being able to be a little bit more understanding towards certain problems. So don't be so sad and have more empathy for others. <laughs> yeah, sadness in a weird way, I think, leads you down that road to empathy, you know? Because unless you truly know, it's hard to empathize. You can, you can understand, maybe, but you can't empathize. And there's a difference there. Yeah. I, I love that. So uh, are you good now to transition into the interview portion of this? Yeah, sure. Good. Okay, wonderful. So tell my audience more about Ken Parmi, what you do, who you serve, what you do in life. Oh, well, I was an inspector. We built um, components for nuclear power plants. And so I had to make sure that they were safe and that they fit correctly. And they were very tight tolerances. It was a very stressful job, but it was a fun job. I enjoyed doing it. And I, I did it for a lot of years. But then what happened was I worked all through chemo and everything. And then, uh, but then I started having these real bad diabetes issues where my sugar would dive real quickly and I'd forget what I was doing and I'd have to go sit down for a couple hours. It was just getting ridiculous. So, so I ended up going on disability and, uh, and this was about five or six years into, uh, my cancer actually you know as i had already done been through chemo and everything but it was the other things that were are messing me up you know and uh that's what they're telling me now they're saying they think i might be having issues with uh radiation damage long-term radiation damage but they don't quite know for sure yet but i have a great bunch of doctors you know what i mean i they've been the best so I, I have full confidence in them, you know, for that. In the field that you were working at, what were some misconceptions that you would like to dispel? The field that I was working in? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? I don't know if there was any misconceptions. No, it was pretty straightforward. People hate inspectors. That's the way... <laughs> That's the way it's been, and that's the way it will always be. I was a hated person, but but 
but not in a personal way, you know what I mean? For the most part, you know. But yeah, inspectors are no one's favorite people, you know. We're <laughs> so Did you I never, never expected anything different. <laughs> did you ever um, encounter, uh, did, did any encounter ever surprise you in a good way? Oh, at work? Yeah. Oh, yeah, many times, many times. Like I say, I really enjoyed what I did. I got to see all sorts of different types of things. I got the x-ray things for the Navy and uh, for the Air Force, for power plants, for Navy nuke. I got to see things that normally I'd never see, you know, and and have a part in. And I think that's what I miss, too, is, is having a part in something so much bigger, you know, uh, and that was a lot of fun. So, but it was stressful, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So, what's you know? You mentioned a couple of uh, sort of items earlier about leaving your grandkids. You're working on a project there. Any other projects that you're working on using um, some of your experiences and your expertise? Well, I have a couple books out, you know. I have the, the one children's book out, uh, The Adventures of, of Maddie McKenzie, and that's a fun story. I'm hoping some way to get somebody to look at that and turn it into a cartoon, because I think that would make a great cartoon, kind of like on the way of the... Did you ever see The Point by no. Nielsen? Oh, my kids used to love that show. There's a movie, you'll have to look it up. It's called The Point, and Henry Nielsen wrote it. And he wrote the music, and he wrote the story, and it's, it's about this little kid who's born with a round head, but his whole community has pointed heads, and they tell him he don't have a point, so they, they banish him, you know, and he learns. Mm. It's, it's a great little story, yeah, but I'm hoping, I'd like to do something like that with that book, yeah. And then we have the cancer book. One of the hospitals was using that uh, for some cancer counseling. I don't know if they still do. And uh, that's called um, In the Gaze of the Divine, Life with Pancreatic Cancer. And that's uh, and I'm, I'm not really thinking of writing another book. If I make any moves, it's going to be towards uh, putting that movie, a little cartoon together with that book. That's really what I'd like to to do if I get involved in that, you know. But I'm always trying to do something with music or with drawing or things that just help me kind of get out of my own head, you know. Mm -hmm. There's a flow that goes on out there that's outside of you, you know what I mean? And, and But it's inside you, and you got to get in it. <laughs> and a lot of times things like that put you in that zone, you know, at least they do me, you know. <laughs> So, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, ageism is a real thing. And a lot of people feel that you reach a certain age, you just, just relax, retire, and call it a day. Go golfing and, you know, boating, all those, all those great uh, leisurely activities. Uh, but it seems like you keep yourself busy. What are some tips or advice that you would give others listening who maybe has a parent or even a grandparent or even themselves? and they're going against sort of um, opposition when it comes to trying to still create something in the world and not rest on their laurels. Yeah, it's tough, man, uh, because as many outlets as there are, it's still a matter a lot of times of being in the right place at the right time. You know, I know so many talented people, man, that just 
haven't like made it you know and you just you wonder why you know and then you hear somebody else and you're like i can't believe <laughs> you know that this guy's like that you know and the other one's like that it's it's weird but that's the way it works man you know and so you just got to be in the right place at the right time but you got to prepare you know like they say you know chance favors the prepared and that's true you know so but i find doing things like that anything creative uh it, it helps get you out of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. What about uh, other activities in your life? Do you find that when you're doing them, inspiration strikes? Sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Especially if I'm, if I'm writing music and poetry, I, I seem to have a, a connection there that I can get into like a certain flow. You know, with drawing, I can do the same, but in a little different way, you know. But you can't ever wait for inspiration, you know. Like somebody once said, if you don't start out in the flesh, you'll never end up in the spirit, you know. And there's a lot of truth to that, you know. So what's your favorite book, movie, and song, and why? Oh, my gosh. I have a few favorite books, but I think this last one by Richard Rohr uh, is about my favorite, the, the Universal Christ, it was called. I don't think it's the last one, but it was the one before the last. And that's a very good book. That and another book by him, Falling Upward. I would say that's even more my favorite. Falling Upward would be my favorite book. And why is that? Well, it's just it's such a good description of life. He talks about the first half of life and what we do to preserve it and how that changes in the second half of ah. life. And he really hits it. Boy, I'll tell you, if you ever get a chance, read that book. You would appreciate it. It's, it's called uh, Falling Upward. Very good book. And, and he's a real nice guy, too. We're kind of like pen pals now and then, you know. And, and he's, he's a really sweet fella, you know. Uh, but that's an excellent book, yeah. Movie for me, Night of the Iguana is my favorite movie. Have wow. you ever seen that movie? I have not, but I've heard of the title, absolutely. Do not miss that movie. Tennessee Williams, to me, was just such an amazing writer, you know. And uh, that's just a great, great story. And the acting in it, of course, old Richard Burton, how can you go wrong? you know with a voice like that you know so uh, that's my favorite movie for sure yeah and, and songs song? yeah man I, I don't know if I could even pick a favorite song uh, John Prine's last song that he did is one of my favorite that I remember everything such a beautiful song and I, I I was so grateful I got to see him on his last tour um so I almost didn't go. I hadn't been feeling good, and, and my wife was going to be away, and, and I almost didn't go, and I thought, I, I, I want to go, because I liked him. He was always put on such a good show, and uh, I'm glad I went now, because here he went and got that darn COVID and ended up passing. You know, it was, just broke my heart. If I had one dream in my life that's never has a chance to be fulfilled it was to have John Prine sing one of my songs you know oh, wow. and that's something that's just never going to happen now yeah if it does okay. it means I'm somewhere else and I don't know if I'm 
Yeah, I don't think you want that. <laughs> I'm quite ready for that yet. Yeah, totally agree with you. Uh, well, Ken, where can my audience find out more about you uh, on the internet? Well, you can get my music on YouTube. You just type in Ken Parmy, and my, my music's there, and you can find our books on Amazon, uh, you know, and... You know, you're more than welcome. If you have any questions, to get a hold of me and feel free. Wonderful, Ken. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciated this conversation. Oh, I'm very glad we had it. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you Excellent. so much. Sure. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human We Solve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here Is How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.